If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, this thing is heavier than it looks. Luke chapter 2, we're going to spend most of our time there together this morning. It was 19 years ago, it was December of 2002, and our church in Mesquite, Texas agreed to fill a couple of two-hour slots at the city's live nativity scene that they were putting together as part of a two-week Christmas festival out at the soccer fields. And so, um, well, from 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock on a Friday night, I was a shepherd. And we wanted to make this as real and genuine and as authentic as we could And uh, I I feel like we did pretty well. There were a bunch of costumes already at the church building, so we were covered there. Um, And the city had really put together a very nice kind of a stable scene. They had built a stable. It was complete with the manger, and there was a lot of hay. And they even had a couple of live little sheep, and they had one tired old donkey tied up in the back corner, I remember. But uh, we wanted to make it just as nice as we could. Uh, But still, it was challenging Um, our Mary was a lady named Alita and the baby Jesus she was holding was not a real baby. It was a doll. It was a baby girl doll, in fact. And so we wrapped that doll up as best we could in what we imagined swaddling clothes might've looked like. And, um, her husband, Larry played Joseph and he looked great, except he had to wear his glasses Because if he didn't, it would have been a disaster. And so there were also one or two other shepherds and wise men who had to wear their glasses. And then it felt like five or six times during that two hours, Santa Claus actually rode by on a tractor pulling a hayride with a bunch of kids in a boombox blasting Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, which I felt like really blew the mood. It just, it destroyed the setting. And so we did the best we could. Um, they would let people come into this nativity scene every 10 minutes. Sometimes it was two or three people. Sometimes it was two or three dozen people. And they would, they would let them in, and they'd come in. And then we shepherds and wise men, we would kind of come in from the sides. We'd kind of come in with them. We would approach the manger kind of together. And then as we got closer, we shepherds and wise men, we would walk on up to the manger, and we would all get down on one knee And we would worship the baby, Jesus, and we would hold our positions here for a couple of minutes while everybody watched and everybody took their pictures and ran their camcorders or whatever. And then when they left, then we would get up and we would go back to our positions and we'd get ready to do it again. So we did that several times over those two hours. And um, again, it wasn't perfect, but... Something changed in me that night. As I walked up to that manger scene over and over and over again, and as I got down on one knee to worship this baby Jesus over and over again, something hit me like it never had before. And I'm just a little bit player in this little skit, really, is all it is, but something happened to me. And I remember during those two hours thinking to myself, this really happened. Here in the hay, in the cold, with the sheep and the donkeys and the sounds and the smells, this really happened. The creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of all, did this, loved me so much. He 
did this. And something just clicked with me that night. You know, I believe this. I remember thinking that. I really believe this. Now, I've always believed it. There's never been a time in my life when I didn't believe it. But I'd never seen it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd seen a nativity scene before. Even though I was born and raised in the churches of Christ, I'd still seen a nativity scene. Not in a church building, but I knew what this was, right? But until I actually put on a robe and grabbed a stick and walked into the stable, I'd never really experienced it. So what I want us to do as a church family over these four Sundays, I want us to put on a robe, figuratively, grab a stick, And let's walk to the manger scene together. I want us to see what they saw. I want us to hear what they heard. I want us to smell what they smelled. And I want us to be overwhelmed by what blew them away. And I want us to be changed the same ways that they were changed. So today, this first Sunday of this Good News, Great Joy series, we're going to tackle the incarnation. We're going to start with something easy on this first Sunday. The fact that Jesus Christ is both 100% completely divine and 100% totally human. Jesus is both. He is here in our flesh and blood at the incarnation. This is super simple, right? No, not at all. But the incarnation of God is such a basic, foundational part of the Christian faith. But we know it's, very, it's a very difficult thing. It's, it's maybe impossible to totally understand. And so because it is so hard to comprehend this fact that Jesus is both God and human at the same time, sometimes I think our belief in the incarnation can be just an affirming nod to an abstract theological concept. Maybe it's just a doctrine that doesn't really translate into the practical matters of an everyday life. It doesn't really impact how I live or the things that I do. And so sometimes I think we know the birth story pretty well and we can sing about it all day long. But I'm not sure we always have a clear handle on the why. That's why I think you can have a guy in the mall saying, I didn't know there was a reason Jesus was born in a stable. Well, yeah, there's a reason, and it ought to shape your life. That's why we get all these I don't knows to those questions about the birth of Jesus. Sometimes you hear the I don't know so often, it can almost sound like I don't care. Or it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really impact my every day. That's why you can get I believe in God, and that's all you need to know. Cut it. That's how that happens. We might know that it's good news, but if we don't know the why, we'll miss out on the great joy. So I think we can do one of two things. We can continue to look at the incarnation as a very complex and very confusing theological concept and kind of keep it back here, or we can step up and embrace the incarnation as a way of engaging life, as a way of looking at life that totally changes everything. That's what I would propose. And let's start today by considering the doctrine of the incarnation. In Luke, and this is like all the gospel stories, we see very clearly that the birth of Jesus is all about God. 
These gospel stories of the birth of Jesus are dominated by God and heaven and angels and the supernatural and the divine. Here in Luke specifically, Mary and Joseph and Zechariah all receive visitors from outside of our world. These these angels, right? These messengers from God, straight from his celestial court, announcing the divine nature of what's about to happen. The baby is conceived by the Holy Spirit. The mother is a virgin. That's not normal. And when Jesus is born, the heavens just explode with this angelic chorus, this massive choir of angels singing these songs of holy praise never before heard by mortals. The bright star decorates the sky above the baby's cradle. God himself has arrived in majesty and awesome splendor. Something eternal has come here from outside of us. And in honor of this divine royalty, wise men from the east, from far away it says, bow down before the God of heaven and earth and they worship. This whole scene from start to finish has the divine stamp of our holy and everlasting God all over it. But at the same time, it is impossible to miss the very human elements in this story. The birth of Jesus is all about us. Mary is a poor Jewish girl. Joseph is a poor Jewish carpenter. And you've got all the complexities of this pregnancy. I mean, Mary is nine months pregnant, and she's not married. There's no room at the inn, although even if they had found a room, I'm not sure they could have afforded it. These peasants are forced into a barn, sleeping in the hay with the sheep and the cows, and all the sounds and the smells that the sheep and the cows produce. And you've got this baby, this tiny, weak Vulnerable, hungry, crying baby. A real human baby. And you've got these shepherds, a bunch of ordinary blue-collar guys. I mean, what I want us to see this morning are all the contrasts in this one scene. You've got the high and the low. You've got the rich and the poor. You've got the earthly and the spiritual, the human and the divine. I think it is striking how you've got all of this in one, in one scene. And I think we need to see it this way. We need to experience it this way. We need to allow this whole scene to shake us and disorient us. God's Holy Spirit impregnates Mary. What do you do with that? We can't really ignore that. But, but that is God and human Coming together as one in the most intimate way we know how to describe. And you've got the angels in heaven talking and singing to the average Joe Shepherd out in the fields. And you've got this caravan of wealthy and wise men from the east. Not just three of them, apparently a whole mess of them. Enough to disrupt the entire capital city of Jerusalem. You've got Gentiles bowing down to a Jewish king in a barn. All the contrast here, the singing of the angels and the bleeding of the sheep together. The song of the angels referencing both heaven and earth in the same chorus. The exotic aromas of incense and myrrh mixing with the stink of the livestock and the hay. Wealth and poverty, Jews and Gentiles, shepherds and scholars. 
It's all right here, all these different contrasts, and I think we need to see it this way. This story of undeniable glory and indisputable coarseness when God becomes human. When God himself takes on our flesh and blood to become one of us and to embrace us and all of his creation as never before. The birth of Jesus is about God and us becoming one. God saves us by joining us. God saves us by becoming us. And church, that is the good news of great joy. As Christians, you know, sometimes I think we're much more concerned with the destination than we are with the journey. You know what I mean? Heaven holds all to me. So much so that we can think of this world as worthless and evil and sad, you know? We, we, we don't think about this world very often because we, we think we're being delivered from the world. We think that, that salvation to a lot of Christians is being rescued from the world, right? I'll fly away, oh glory, right? You know that song, we sing it a lot. You know, like a prison. Uh, the bird has, has broken through the bars, right? And just a few more weary days, and then what? I'm going to be saved from this sorry place. No, no, that's a bad theology. The incarnation does not let us think that way. The incarnation will not let us believe that way because the birth of Jesus, instead of separating our salvation from creation, the incarnation brings our salvation and creation together. It joins together the eternal realities of heaven with the ordinary affairs of our lives on earth. By becoming one of us, God reaffirms the goodness and the purpose of his creation. The good news is that our human condition, even with all of our flaws and shortcomings, even with all of our our missteps and sins... This world and everything in it is not so sad and worthless and evil that God is above becoming a human himself. In fact, it is Jesus taking on our everyday human condition that is the very means for our salvation. Church, that is good news of great joy. God created the world and the people in it. And that world and the people, all of creation has been groaning, the Bible says, groaning as in the pains of childbirth to become what we are truly created to be. We were created by God to be truly divine children of God, just like Jesus. We look at Jesus, God in the flesh, right? When we look at Jesus, we see what God created when he created us. We at least see his intent. We see our potential. We see our calling. Ryan read to us from John chapter 1 when we were eating and drinking the meal together. I want to read part of this again. It says, when we receive Jesus, when we believe in the name of Jesus, God gives us the right. I think a better translation is God gives us the authority or God gives us the power to become children of God. Children, born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, not of a husband's will, but born of God, just like Jesus. 
And yes, Jesus preached about the kingdom of heaven, but you and I know all of his teachings had to do with how to live here on this earth. How to get along as a child of God in this world, here in the very smack dab middle of God's creation. And all of that, I think, comes together in this little stable scene in Bethlehem. And I think seeing Jesus as a human helps us understand why God created us. It helps us reclaim his purpose for our lives. To live our full lives on this earth with each other in the everyday mundane ordinariness of this world together as children of God. That's what he's always intended for us since day one. To live like him. To be like him. And that's why he came here to this earth in the form of a human being to make that happen for us. And this is the really, really good news of great joy for you and for me and for all of us that God joins us in the middle of our mess in order to save us. God jumps into the middle of your mess in order to save you. I want you to flip to Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 1. I really want you to look at a couple of things I'm going to point out to you here. Flip over to Matthew 1. It's the first page in the New Testament. We're going to look at the genealogy here for a second, okay? And before your eyes glaze over, because I know that's what they do when you look at a, at a genealogy, I want you to answer this question. Are you ashamed of your family tree? Now, don't answer that out loud, okay? And don't make eye contact. There's one thing I've learned. Everybody at GCR is related to somebody else at GCR, okay? And they're not all McGraws, I know. So don't, don't make it awkward. Just answer that question to yourself, okay? Are you ashamed of your relatives? Because if you are, get a load of Jesus' family tree. Looking at Jesus' relatives will make your relatives look a whole lot better. Matthew 1, I want you to pay attention to these names. Look at these names. Some of these names are very familiar to us. Some of them you've never heard before. Some of these stories will just jump out at you, and some of them you've got to dig a little bit. But this is Jesus' royal, divine, godly, kingly line. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar? Who is Tamar. She posed as a temple prostitute in order to trick her father-in-law into having sex with her. Yeah, that's, she hasn't been on the Christmas card list now for years. Come to think of it, Judah wasn't exactly innocent in that deal either, if I recall. So let's, let's, let's move on. That's a little bit uncomfortable. Verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Well, who's Okay, you probably know her better by her last name, Rahab the harlot. You know, Rahab the Canaanite, pagan, idol-worshiping harlot. Don't want to dwell on that. Who's next? Uh, Boaz, father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth the Moabitess. Wait a second, she was from Moab? Yeah, 
Doesn't God's law say we're not supposed to marry anybody from... Yeah, it does. Okay, well, that's not great. Um, Obed, Jesse, David. Look at verse 6. King David, it says. Yes, now finally some, some pedigreed royalty here. This, this feels more appropriate. You hear the word David, you, just, you start thinking about the Davidic covenant. You start thinking about the eternal throne. David's a man after God's own heart. So, so I love this, right? Now, now we're talking. Father of Solomon, yes. You think about Solomon and the temple. He's the wisest man who's ever lived on this earth, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. You mean Bathsheba? Yeah, that's, that's awkward. Why, why didn't Matthew just say Bathsheba? Is he trying to hide something? No. Have you looked at these names? He's not trying to hide anything. Maybe he wants us to remember that Uriah was a Hittite, another pagan, idol-worshiping enemy of God. Or maybe he wants to remind us that even David's story is a little messy. And, and I know most of us have been over this before. The point is, there is not one single pattern of righteousness anywhere in Jesus' line. Sinners galore and then some more. If you look at Luke's genealogy, he traces Jesus' line all the way back to Adam, who's the OG of all sinners. Manasseh is in here. Manasseh. The Bible says he's the worst of the bad kings. Scripture says he did more evil than all the bad kings before him combined. And so this whole list is full of lying and murder and adultery and idol worship. This is not a fitting genealogy for the Holy Son of God. Actually, for the Holy Son of God, for the promised Savior of the world, this is the perfect genealogy. This is the perfect backstory here because what this shows us is that Almighty God sees the mess and he decides to join it. He looks at the bad things that are happening on this planet and he decides to become a part of it. Joseph and Mary fit perfectly into this story. Remember, Joseph was trying to divorce Mary even before they went to Bethlehem. God, through Christ, sees this whole mess, and he decides he's going to belong to it. Listen to this good news. God does not distance from your mess. He embraces it. He joins it. He longs to belong to whatever messy thing is going on in your life. That's good news, church. That is really good news. No one is so lost and broken. You are not so far gone or so messed up that you're somehow beyond God's reach. It doesn't matter how long you've been gone. It doesn't matter how far away you are. It doesn't matter how dark it is or how bad it's gotten. Jesus, our Lord, thrives on that. It doesn't shake him. It doesn't disturb him at all. It doesn't phase our Lord Jesus. Your mess, he's in. He's in it with you. And church, he is in it for you. And it's hard to tell from this birth scene in Bethlehem exactly where the human stuff stops and the divine stuff starts. 
and vice versa. The, the two, you know, heaven and earth, man and God, they're so united in this birth scene. They're so intermingled and intertwined with each other. It's, it's hard to tell one from the other. And I would say because of that, in your own life, don't try to draw hard lines between what's of God and what's of man. You know what I'm talking about? Don't try to figure out all the time what's, what's a work of people and what's a work of God or what's something that's earthly and what's something that's spiritual. Can't you embrace everything that's going on in your life, the good and the bad stuff? Can't you embrace the really spectacular things and the mundane, ordinary things? Can't you see that as God in Christ in it with you and working in it and through it for your salvation? Look at Simeon in Luke chapter 2. He's in the temple in Luke 2, and he is holding the baby Jesus. And while he holds the Lord Jesus, he praises God. Verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Gentiles and Israel. In other words, it's for everybody. That's what we see. When Jesus comes, the young and the old, the rich and the poor, male and female, Jew and Gentile, righteous and sinner, Emmanuel, God with us, means God with all of us. And I've heard all my life that the ground is level at the cross. Well, I'm telling you this morning, it is also level at the manger. The angels announce This is good news of great joy. And who's it for? All the people. All the people. So in the glory of the nativity, God shows us, church, we all belong. We're all equally lacking and equally blessed. No distinctions. And you know what? That's a beautiful picture. That is a glorious portrait of our God's love and grace. It's a masterpiece. But it's not roped off or kept under bulletproof glass so that we can't get to it. It's not guarded or locked away where we can't get up close to it and touch it. This picture is hands-on. It is fully interactive. This is a full contact deal here. You and I are very involved in this story. God is fixing everything that's broken in your life. And he is making right everything in your world that's gone wrong by coming directly to us as one of us. And that is amazing. And that is truly good news of great joy for all the people. And listen to me, if we'll get closer to it, if we'll... See it. If we'll listen to it. If we'll engage that story, it will capture us. It will captivate us. It will become a part of us. And it will change us and make us more like him. Amen? Stand with me, church. Let's pray together, please. Father, this morning our hearts overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving 
You are our God. We belong to you. And you came here in our flesh and blood to prove it to us. That we are united with you through your son, our risen and reigning Lord Jesus. And we're so thankful. And God, we praise you that you join us in our mess. You belong to it with us. And Father, if we're honest with you, in your presence, around your table, with you this morning, we acknowledge we're a mess. You know our mess. You know it. You know it. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to lift that up to you right now. We want to give it to you. Our mess. Father, Hear us. Listen to your children. As we name that mess right now, as we give it to you, Father, listen to us. Oh, yeah, we know that doesn't scare you, God. That doesn't turn you away from us to tell you what a mess our lives are. Thank you for listening to us. And now, Father, would you hear us as we offer a prayer to you and ask you to bless us and ask you to change in us what you know needs to be changed. God, as we ask you now to deliver us from what has us in this mess, God, we lift it to you in faith right now. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. May your will be done, God, in our lives just as it is in heaven. And all of God's people say together, amen.